Uh, one more time, can we thank the team that put those videos together? That's incredible. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. Hey, have you guys had a good week at Hume? Everyone had a good week? Yeah? yeah? Well, tonight or this morning as we kind of wrap up our time in chapel, I have a, a few important things that I want to share with you. And it really begins with this powerful statement towards the end of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 14, where that scene that we just watched is depicting this moment. It says, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. God has made himself clear to us. He's made his teachings plain to us. He showed up in miraculous and powerful ways he died on the cross and rose from the dead, the greatest miracle in the history of the world. It saved us, it's changed us, and transformed us. But God is not done with us yet. And God wants us to continue following him. Have any of you ever played that game before, uh, Bigger and Better? Anybody ever played the game Bigger and Better? You ever heard of it before? Bigger and Better is this game that we used to play in youth group growing up where basically we, we would get like a, a dice or a, or a pencil or something really, really small. And we would go from house to house in our neighborhood, knocking on the door, asking the owners if they would exchange what we had, something small, for something bigger or better. And I remember playing this game on one Wednesday night, and I think we went out of church with like a thumbtack, and we came back with an ATV. Like we came back, now it was a broken ATV, but we came back with an ATV that we had visited so many houses getting something bigger and better. And I remember thinking, you know, this is a lot of how I live my life, that I'm constantly looking for the bigger, better thing. And if we're not careful, camp, outdoor education, this week that we experienced will be something that we go, man, that was really great. That was really big. That was incredible. But I want to find something better. I, 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 I think that if I begin a relationship with a girl or a boy, it will be better. If I go play this professional sport, it'll be better. That if we're not careful, we live as humans on this pursuit, trying to find something bigger and better. But I want to tell you, Jesus is not bigger and better. Jesus is the biggest and he's the best. That it doesn't get better, it doesn't get bigger than Jesus. And what you have discovered this week is the secret to life that so many people spend so much money building so many regrets trying to find what you have already discovered. And there will be times in your life where you'll be tempted to think, well, that relationship or that activity or that sin or whatever it may be, that, that is bigger and better than Jesus. 
But the truth is there's nothing bigger or better than Jesus. The question I want to close our time with is where is your faith? As we're leaving camp, where is your faith? Now, I didn't ask you, do you have faith? Because every person on planet Earth, including atheists, have faith. That all of us are putting our faith in something. So it's not a question of, do you have faith? It's a question of, where is your faith? And to help illustrate this, I need Talon and Matt to come up here real quick. Can you guys give Talon and Matt a round of applause? Come on up here, guys. All right, you guys ready for this? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. So we're going to have Matt. Matt is Talon's dad. Everyone say, hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. And everyone say, hi, Talon. Hi, Talon. Okay, now, uh, he, Matt's got his CrossFit uh, sweatshirt on. What he's not bragging about is I'm actually his personal trainer. So I've been training Matt for decades, building up to this moment right here. Here's what I want you to do, Matt. I want you to hold on to this rope. And Talon, I want you to come and I want you to hold on to this rope just like that, okay? Now, the question is, do you trust your dad? Thinking about that a little bit too long. Do you trust your dad? Yeah. You trust him. Okay, here's what you're going to do. I want you to hold on this rope tightly. And what you're going to do, Talon, is you're going to slowly lean back to the point of where you're having to put your faith and your trust in your dad. Are you ready for this? Okay, on the count of three, I want you to lean back. One, two, three. There we go. What you are seeing right here is faith. When the Bible uses the word faith, especially in the New Testament, what it's using is a word trust, putting your loyalty in, convinced of. And right here, Talon has chosen to put his faith and his trust in something a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger than himself. In fact, what Talon has put his faith and his trust in is actually holding him up. But in order for Talon to experience that, he has to lean back and be willing to fully trust. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit up real quick. Okay, uh, here's what we're going to do next. All right, we're going to take this little thing. See how this little dinky <laughs> thing right here? Okay, here we go. There we go. All right, Talon, this thing weighs about five ounces. Okay, here we go. So, Talon, I'm going to put that right there. All right, now. On the count of three, I want you to go ahead and lean back, okay? You ready? No. Dude, this is embarrassing. This is my message right now, bro. I need you to just, just on the count of three, go ahead and lean back. No. You're not going to do it. Why won't you do that, Talon? Because it's going to fall. Because it's going to fall. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. And yet, friends, I want to suggest to you that so many of us are putting our faith and our trust in things that could never actually hold us up. Some of you are putting your faith and your trust in your athletic skills. Some of you are putting your faith and your trust in your academic skills, in your GPA. Some of you are putting your faith and your trust in a girlfriend or boyfriend. Some of you are putting your faith and your trust in a literally 100-point plan that you have created for your life. The question is not, do you have faith? The question is, where is your faith? Can you guys give Talon and Matt a round of applause? Thank you, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. And so with that, I want to introduce us to the book 
of Hebrews. And here's where we're going to land the plane for our chapel time. The book of Hebrews is a really interesting one. You can begin to flip open if you have your Bibles. You can flip open. It is in the New Testament. And the book of Hebrews is essentially about how Jesus wants his church, his people, to think and act. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. One scholar wrote about the book of Hebrews. He said this, Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians whose world was falling apart. Anyone else feel like the world is falling apart? And, and all I got to just say is because sometimes we look at what we're experiencing right now in the world and we're like, it's never been this bad. Things are horrible. This, it's never been this bad before. Oh, it's been this bad before. That for these Jewish Christians persecution was beginning. They were seeing some of their friends and family being executed for following Jesus. Things were bad. Their world was falling apart. And many scholars believe that this book of Hebrews was originally read by a group of no more than 20 people who gathered in a home terrified for their lives. Because you see, they had they had experienced the threats of persecution. They had but begun to avoid evangelizing out in the marketplace for fear of being arrested. Some of them had even thought about not meeting together anymore. And so with 20 fearful, timid, uncertain Jewish Christians, they find themselves in a home not knowing what's ahead of them, and they receive this letter. Now, I want you to pretend for a moment that you can relate to some of what they're going through, which I actually think some of us can. And I want you to imagine hearing these words when you're afraid, when you're uncertain, when you're nervous about the future. You're huddled in a home 20 of your closest friends, not sure if you'll make it to the end of the day, and you receive a letter that goes like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom all also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, they had thought that Jesus was gone, that they, they were afraid. This whole thing they had believed in was just a myth. And then they receive this letter that reminds them that Jesus is still alive, that Jesus is the creator of the universe, that Jesus is still speaking. I want you to write this down. Big idea of four big ideas I want you to remember as you head down the mountain. Big idea number one is this. It's two words. God speaks. God speaks. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Number one, notice this. The writer of Hebrews says they're already in the last days. 
And so if all the things that have been going on in the world have made you think, oh man, maybe we're entering the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years, according to the Bible. Now, we don't know when things are going to end. What we do know is that these are the last days. And God is still speaking. We don't serve and worship a God who's muted. We don't serve and worship a God who's distant and and far away from us. We worship a God who speaks to us. He speaks to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He speaks to us through the holy word of God. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit confirming what God's word says. And so as you head down this mountain, you need to remember with all that you have within you that God is not silent and that God speaks. Now, the challenge is, the temptation is to leave camp with a sort of a camp high, to leave here going, man, I encountered God in such a powerful way at Hume Lake, and the only way I can encounter him again is if I come back for summer camp, if I come back for winter camp, if I come back for outdoor education, and all those camps are important, and you should sign up for all of them. But do not fall for the trap that God only speaks at Hume Lake, and so the only way you can hear from him is by coming back to Hume Lake. That God wants to speak to you and I all the time. You know what's different about Hume Lake? Is we set aside so many of our distractions and we intentionally focused our minds and our hearts on God. We prioritized reading his Bible. We prioritized having conversations about faith. We prioritized worshiping Jesus and listening to messages. Our hearts were positioned to hear from God. And so guess what? We heard from him. To which if God is a speaking God, the question I want to ask you is, are you a listening person? If God is a speaking God, are you a listening person? I said that quote at the very beginning of our time together on Monday night. Augustine, the fourth century North African theologian, he said, treat the scripture of God for now as the face of God. Because one day we will see God's face. In heaven, when he returns and the new heaven and the new earth are made, book of Revelation says that we will see Jesus face to face. But until then, treat the scripture of God like the face of God. God wants to continue speaking to you. Are you willing to keep listening to him? Second thing I want you to go down the mountain with is this. I want to remind you that Jesus, go ahead and write this down. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. We're going to talk about why that's significant in a minute. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. I want to reread Hebrews 1.3 again. The Son, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That is a big picture of Jesus. He's not just your homie. He's not just your friend. He's not just the person that that you can kind of go to whenever you want. No, he is God almighty. He is the exact representation of God. 
This means what he says in his word can be trusted. That just as Matt held on to the rope and Talon was able to fully lean back because he knew his dad was capable and strong enough to hold him up, you and I need to remember that God is more than capable, more than powerful enough to hold us up, to watch over us, to love us, to care for us, to heal us, to help us follow him because he is completely God. He is fully God. And so this means when the scriptures say that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, you can trust it because Jesus was God. He was the perfect sacrifice. This means that there's no problem you are facing right now that God does not understand that he is not all-powerful over, and that he is incapable of working through it. God can do anything. But God is not just 100% God. He's also 100% human. Look at what it says in the next chapter of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is also able to help those who are being tempted. This is so cool, you guys. Not only is Jesus all-powerful, but he was fully human. This means when you're tempted, this means when you have a thought that you go, oh my goodness, I don't want anyone else to know about that. Jesus gets it. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every single way like you and I have been tempted. He didn't sin, but he gets temptation. This means that your Jesus, the God who created you, he gets what it's like to be human. He gets what it's like to feel the things you feel, to struggle with the things you struggle. Jesus gets you, and he's powerful enough to save you. Do you see the beauty of this reality of God's nature in Christ? That he's, human, he's fully human enough to get you. He's fully God enough to save you. Jesus is fully human and fully God. Let's go to point number three. Hebrews wants to warn us that drifting will cost you. Write that one down. Drifting will cost you. Hebrews chapter two opens like this. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Here Hebrews says, look, there's no excuse for us that we have seen the power and the glory of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we know the gospel, we know the truth. 
Which is why he says, be careful that you do not drift away. Students, did you know that if if you live 70 years, let's just say all of you live 70 years, did you know that you will spend 20 years and three months sleeping? So let's say you live to be 70 years old. You will spend 20 years and three months sleeping. You will spend 10 years and five months. These are on average, obviously. 10 years and five months watching TV. You will eat and drink for seven years and six months. Isn't that crazy? In a 70-year lifespan, you will have spent seven years and six months just pounding pizza. Like, that's just crazy. You will spend, on average, five years and nine months traveling. You will spend 18 months of your life waiting in line. 18 months of your life waiting in line. And then get this. You will spend six months stopped at a red light. Think about that, you guys. At the end of our lives, we're going to spend six whole months, six 24-hour-a-day months at a red light. For many of you, for many of you, you have just over 570,000 hours left to live. Question is, how will you spend those hours? I want to ask you a question for you to just think of. Don't answer out loud, but just think about this. During the pandemic, did you drift closer to God or did you drift away from God? Did you find yourself leaning into God or did you find yourself distancing from God? I, I told you this before, but I, I grew up in Ventura and I grew up surfing. I skateboarded and surfed and I loved surfing. And one of the things I learned early on as I was surfing was that drifting, drifting out in the water is subtle, it's unintentional, it's incredibly easy, and it's absolutely dangerous. That when you're sitting out there on your surfboard, it doesn't take any work at all to drift out into the middle of the ocean. But it's incredibly dangerous. But to catch a wave, to actually surf, you've got to paddle. And paddling, different than drifting, paddling is purposeful, it's hard work, and it always pays off. And so when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, you can drift, which was always the easy way, or you can paddle, which is harder, but it always pays off. Some of you are wondering, am am I paddling towards God? Like, how would I know that, that I'm paddling towards God? Is there any evidence, my question for you would be this, is there any evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And maybe some of you are wondering, man, is the Holy Spirit at work in me? Paul says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So students, drifting from God, it will be so easy and it will cost you so much. And if you're going to head down the mountain and continue to encounter the God who speaks, you've got to make a commitment that you're going to be a paddler, not a drifter. And big idea number four, our final one is this. Big idea number four is this. 
Jesus tasted death so we could buffet life. I like that because I just like buffets. Anyone like buffets? Where's my buffet people at? I can't get enough of those things. Jesus tasted life so we could buffet, or Jesus tasted death so we could buffet life. Hebrews 2 verse 9, our closing verse is this. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted eternal death and separation from God so you and I would never have to. Man, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I love going to a buffet because I, I love walking through the line knowing that we've already paid. Like, I love those buffets where you walk in, you swipe the card, it's already been paid for so that you can just enjoy the whole experience. And I'm the kind of buffet guy. I mean, I'm not just like hanging out in the salad. I mean, I'm like, I want a 10-course meal. You know what I mean? Like, and you're looking at me, you're like, but you're so buff. I know it's crazy, but I eat a lot. So I'm, I'm all about the buffet. But think about this, that you and I, spiritually speaking, you and I get the buffet because Jesus paid the bill. Because Jesus paid the tab. Because Jesus paid your debt and my debt. We get to experience the buffet, which is a life with him, a life where he's speaking to us, a life where we're in relationship, where we're forgiven, where we experience peace that the world doesn't know, where we have purpose that is beyond a salary or our accomplishments. We get all of that because he paid the bill for us. I want to close by just telling you about two, two of my former students. The first one was a young man named Jason. When I met Jason, he didn't want anything to do with God. In fact, he would tell me that he would constantly avoid me at church. His parents would bring him to the main service, but he wasn't a part of our youth programming. And, and he, he wanted to avoid me at all costs, and he hated church. And then one day he happened to be walking by and me and some of our leaders were walking out at the same time. And we said, Jason, Jason. He was like, oh, shoot, dang it. And he goes, he goes what, what, what's up? And we said, hey, just come check out our community. Come be a part of our community for a few weeks. Just try it out for a few weeks. And just see what God wants to do. Well, this young man who was drinking and smoking and doing all kinds of things that were causing him to drift from God. He got invested and involved in our youth group. And I watched God begin to transform his life. I watched God begin to reveal himself to him. I, I watched him step into becoming one of our student leaders. And now I want to show you a picture of Jason. Jason is one of our pastors at our church. You see, here's, here's a kid who recognized that Jesus tasted death so that he could buffet life, and now he's living into the calling that God has for him. I'll never forget my first lunch with Vincent. Vincent's mom called me, and she said, would you mind just taking my son out to lunch? He's really lost right now. He's really struggling. Could, could you just take him out for lunch? And I said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. W where does he like to eat? And she was like, he loves In-N-Out. And I'm like, we're going to be best friends. I love In-N-Out too. So I picked Vincent up. 
we head to In-N-Out, and as we're enjoying our burger, I, I begin to ask him questions, and he tells me that he's an atheist, that he hates God, that, that he's struggling at school, that he has a broken relationship with his parents, and that if there was a God, he thinks he's to blame. So not only did he feel like there wasn't a God, but if there was, God's to blame for all the things going on in his life. Well, because Vince and I like In-N-Out, we both kept going in and out together, kept talking. Vincent started to come into our youth group and started to connect with some leaders and eventually graduated and, and had given his life to the Lord. And, and I saw, I saw this apathetic, hurting, broken young man come to life. I saw him smile and experience a joy of the Lord that only God could bring him. I want to show you this picture of Vincent. There's Vincent leading a group of junior high guys at our church. Maybe some of you are where Vincent and Jason were. Maybe some of you want to get to that place. How do you get there? You recognize that God speaks. You anchor yourself to the truth that God is, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. You commit to not drifting, but instead paddling and being intentional in your relationship with God. And you constantly remind yourself and remind each other of the gospel that Jesus tasted death so you and I could have and know life. So I'll close with the question I began with. It's not a matter of do you have faith. The question is, where is your faith? And is your faith strong enough to not only hold you up, but to take you where God wants you to go? And if your faith is in anything apart from Jesus, it will let you down. But a life rooted in the gospel, clinging to Jesus, is one that many, many, many years from now, you'll look back on when you're 70 plus and you'll say, that was worth everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our time in chapel, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity that we've had to open your word to see what you have for us. And Jesus, as each one of us head back down the mountain to real life again, I know exactly what Satan's going to want to do. Satan is going to want to lie to us and tell us, well, that experience we had up at camp, that cannot come home with you, that that's just a camp thing. But your word tells us otherwise. Your word tells us that you are a speaking God. So Jesus, would you help every single one of us to not drift away from you, but to paddle intentionally towards you, not trying to earn your love, because we already have it, but in obedience and because we love you and we want to follow you. And then God, would you do immeasurably more in our lives than we ever could on our own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.